So many of you know, um, if you've been with us for the last couple of weeks, we've been going through the book of Acts and um, looking at, as a church, what it looks like for us to be. That's a church on fire with the Holy Spirit and, and a church that, that is committed um, to seeing God bring life to Feltham and for us being the vehicle by which he's able to move and work. Um, and so we're moving on to the next bit of our of Acts. Um, I had um, the most incredible conversation with Molly yesterday. Molly, for those of you who don't know, Molly's our eldest daughter. I took her to the shops um, because that's what we can do. And we had this wonderful conversation um, where she was explaining to me um, that the reason it's sunny and warm, the reason it was sunny and warm yesterday is because she had put a skirt on. Um, she then went on to tell me that that's what she often does, um, that she chooses her outfit so that the weather will follow. She, she somehow believes um, that her outfit will determine the weather for that day. I did try to explain to her that um, actually the, the weather is more set by God and her outfit is in response to that. She wouldn't have any of it. Um, and uh, it does actually make some sense of why in the dead of winter she comes running out in her summer dresses thinking that she can somehow influence and take credit for a sunny day. Anyway, if there are any sunny days coming up in the future, you can know um, that it's because Molly has chosen on that particular day to wear a skirt. And if it's cold, it's because she has worn a coat. Um, so there you go. Uh, it's nice to know that she's able to take credit for the weather on the basis of her outfit, um, which got me thinking actually about this passage and how often it is that we take credit for things that really we shouldn't take any credit for or even take the blame for things that we shouldn't really take the blame for. Um, for example, I wonder if there are some of you here who are, are cricket fanatics like Dave um, who will later on today take the credit for England's victory on the basis that he this morning chose church instead of watching the cricket. Um, I was watching all sorts of tweets that were coming through during the Australia-England match, um, and I'm actually crossed at a whole bunch of English people who did all sorts of weird and wonderful things throughout the day that gave England the victory. Nothing to do with the team, obviously. And so our passage this morning, Peter and John, um, have a similar dilemma. Their dilemma is who gets the glory um, for this man that was healed, who was seemingly healed actually by them. Um, so, as I've said, we're in this series looking at Acts, and last week um, we, we, we heard the story, if you were here, of this man who each day was put in front of the temple um, and this man had been lame from birth. He hadn't been able to walk from birth, and he'd been there for 40 years. Um, this man, because of his condition, um, was an outsider from the Christian community, he, uh, sorry, the Jewish community. He wasn't allowed into the temple. He wasn't allowed into the presence of God because of his physical disability. The powers of being made it clear that he was not welcome. Peter and John, instead of passing by, um, as so many people would have done, they gave him his dignity by looking at him in the eye, and they offered him all that they had. And that was not silver and gold, but that was Jesus. And then through this name, through this name of Jesus, the name of Jesus, this man, lame from birth, stands, walks, leaps, praises God, runs straight into the temple, a place where he was previously not allowed. 
and he was able to have a connection with God and with people that he'd only dreamed of. God had made a way for a crippled outsider to be healed, made whole, and inside and in the presence of God. And God did this, being really clear, that God did this through the courage, the faith, and the prayer of Peter and John. So God had made a way for this man to come back to himself through Jesus. He saved him in an instant. It's a wonderful example of God's kindness and his power. And so obviously the crowd were filled with wonder and amazement. Like, what on earth is going on here? And they ran towards Peter and John. And this set up a platform for Peter and John to explain what's just happened. So let's have a look at the passage for today. Um, We have Bibles. Um, Yay. So if you have a Bible, please turn to page 1095, which is Acts chapter 3, verse 11. Um, And if you don't have a Bible in front of you, it's going to be up on the screen as well. But there's something quite cool about having a physical Bible so you can see where this story sits in the context of Scripture, even if it's just by feeling what side of the Bible is more heavy compared to the other side. And this is what it says. While the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade, the place where Jesus had been preaching once before. And when Peter saw this, he said to them, fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate. Um, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man, whom you see and know, has has made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can all see. Now, fellow Israelites, I know that you acted in ignorance, as you did, as did your leaders. But this is how God fulfilled what he foretold through the prophets, saying that his Messiah would suffer. Repent then and turn to God, so that your sins may be wiped out, and that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Jesus." Heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. For Moses said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. Everyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from their people. Indeed, beginning with Samuel, all the prophets who had spoken have foretold these days, and you were heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, through your offspring, all peoples on earth will be blessed. And when God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. So, Father, I ask that as we look at this text in the Bible today, we ask that you speak to us. 
you would reveal to us how much you love us, what lengths you went to save us, and that today we would know your presence, your refreshing presence afresh. We thank you, God, that it's you that reveals yourself, and we ask this morning you would do that. You would grace us with your presence, that we would see Jesus, and that would change everything. Amen. And so the people run towards Peter and John, and they're assuming in this moment that it was them and their holiness that was responsible for this man being healed. And for me, you know, if I was Peter and John and the crowd were running towards me, I'd be feeling like this is a decision moment. Who, who gets the glory here? Who gets the credit for this man being healed? And so if it was me, I'd have this internal dialogue going on inside my brain. It's probably because I'm far more sinful than Peter and John. I'd be like, so should I be giving the glory to God here in this moment? Or do we say, actually, it's, it, it was us, you know? We did it. We are the ones that healed with our special words and special prayers because then my brain would continue on to what then would be the, the next steps because I, I know that we, you know, we'd become instant celebrities and there's a good chance we'd make a load of money, we'd travel the world, and we'd probably start a worldwide healing roadshow. This is what's going through my depraved mind. I'd then be thinking, well, Jack Hinton, he could do all the merch because he's quite good at that kind of stuff, you know, the, the, you know, the bios and our branding, and because um, and, uh, um, I'd obviously be kind of like a comedian, I suppose, but a healing roadshow. And then Beth, Beth could organize the t-shirts, um, wherever she is. Um, and um, Sam Millard obviously would make everything happen. Um, otherwise, it'd never get off the ground, um, which everybody knows is true. Um, so I, I probably thought about that for far too long, actually, if, if I was stuck in this moment. Would I take the credit? Would I take the accolades? Because it'd be so tempting. But Peter and John They didn't do that. They didn't take the glory. Immediately, they focused everybody's attention onto Jesus. They know where the power came from, and they know where the love is from. And so in verse 12, when Peter saw this, he said to the fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us if by our own power or godliness we've made this man walk? He said, don't look at us. We can't heal or save. In fact, we have nothing confirming what they'd already said in the, in, at the beginning of Acts chapter 3. They said, silver or gold, we don't have, but what we do have, we give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. They want to make it abundantly clear that while God, yes, is working in and through them, something that God continues to do through his church and through his people um, throughout history and still today so that he can achieve his purposes in, in our realities. But they wanted to make it abundantly clear that while he does partner with humanity through his church, he wants them to know that the only person that has the ability to save, to heal, to make an outsider, an insider, is Jesus. Don't look at us. And the reality is, if Peter and John had claimed the power for their own, they'd be making a claim akin to saying, I am 
God. Yes, guys, we can heal, we can save, make me your God. And, and actually, that is the root of the problem of Genesis chapter 3. If you were to go all the way back to the beginning of your Bibles, there is a moment where humans say, we, God doesn't know best, we know best, we will be our own gods. And we can see where that let us. We take credit um, for all the things that, that God has done and made ourselves God. Tim Keller, um, he wrote about this being something like spiritual plagiarism. And this is what he wrote. Think about plagiarism for a moment. Why is plagiarism taken so seriously? It's taken seriously because it's claiming that you came up with an idea yourself when you did not. It's not acknowledging dependence, that you got the idea from someone else. Plagiarism is the refusal to give thanks and give credit and is therefore a form of theft. And so do you see then why God takes this seriously? Cosmic ingratitude, he writes, is, the, is living in the illusion that you are spiritually self-sufficient. It is taking credit for something that was a gift. It's the belief that you know best how to live, that you have the power and ability to keep your life on the right path and protect yourself from danger. This is a delusion, a God delusion, and a dangerous one. In this moment, Peter and John, they don't plagiarize, they don't take credit um, for something that God did. They point people to Jesus because Jesus was the only one, is the only one that can heal and save. And so then Peter launches into his second sermon that we see in Acts, where again he gives all the glory all the credit to the one who can save. And so in this sermon, um, and this is what I just read a moment ago, um, he, he describes Jesus in five ways, um, all with the purpose of making it abundantly clear that Jesus is God and he is the fulfillment of the Messiah. He is the Messiah that the Jews had been waiting for. So he says of, of Jesus that he is a descendant of Abraham. Um, and uh, the Jews understood that the Messiah that was coming, the one that would save them and restore all things, would come from the line of Abraham. He was a servant of God, which is what Isaiah referred to the Messiah as, as a servant. Um, he was a holy and righteous one, so pointing out his divinity, which would have been a massive blasphemy um, for the people listening. He is the author of life and the prophet that Moses spoke of. And then he ends this, this sermon declaring who Jesus is and what his credentials are and how he fulfilled everything written in the Old Testament about the coming Messiah by saying, by faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him as you can all see. Basically, what they're saying is, if you want healing, if you want forgiveness, if you need salvation, which we all do, it can only come through faith in Jesus. There is no other name. There is no other means. There is no other power by which you can be saved. You cannot experience love, the love that God has, any other way than through Jesus Christ. He is your God. He is your long-awaited Savior. This is what he's saying. And this is what we believe is true today. 
you know, what Peter and John were talking about back in Acts chapter 3, it is still true for us today. It is only by the name of Jesus and believing in him and trusting in what he did on the cross and you can experience a relationship with the, love, the living God. And this living God, if you put your trust in him, will bring you forgiveness, will bring you healing, will bring you hope will bring you life and life eternal. And so at the end of this sermon, what Peter then does is gives these people an opportunity to turn to God and experience all that God has for them. So from verse 19, he says, Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out. That as you turn to God, there is an acknowledgement that there is a sinfulness and a brokenness in you that, 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 that you can't do anything about, but God can. And as we turn to him, he heals and forgives and restores. And then verse 20, it says that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. That as you turn to God, and, and you, you are then welcomed into his presence, just like this man was who couldn't walk. He was welcomed into the temple. He experienced the presence of God. And, and this refreshing comes from this freedom that comes from being relieved of your guilt are being restored to that of what you were created to be. The refreshment of being in the presence of God. It's like the prodigal being welcomed back into the embrace of their father, saying, come back to me. And then he carries on, and that he may send the Christ, the appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. And so we're embraced by the Father, and then we wait um, as God does his work on the earth until Jesus returns and he makes all things new to how it was at the beginning before it all got messed up. So then what does this mean for us then as a community? What does this little passage um, have to say to a church in Feltham? Well, my dream really and the reason why, um, you know, Diz and I said yes to, to moving here to Feltham is that we long to be a Christian community that exists and lives and breathes in Feltham for Feltham. I want us um, to follow the example of Peter and John and be willing to take risks like they did and trust in the power of God who is able to save and is able to hear, heal. Uh, I long, I really do, and this is, this is why we're here, I long to hear stories of, of people in our community, you guys, um, getting into the community and praying for the sick to be healed. I long to hear stories of people in our community, at Christchurch Feltham, going out and telling people about the good news of Jesus Christ. I long to hear stories of people's lives being utterly transformed by God as they experience the refreshment that comes from his presence and experiencing his power to save and to heal. I long to, to be in a position where we are daily, like they were at the beginning of, of, of Acts, welcoming people into the family of God here at Christchurch. That's the type of church I'd long for us to be, willing to take risks. I want us to be a church that, that prays for the sick, proclaims and reveals the kingdom of God through building community, alleviating suffering, bringing hope to our town, and above all, giving people Jesus. And I know, actually, you, you listen to that, and for me, 
I'm like, yes, I'm all on board with all of those things. It's exactly what I want, except I'm utterly petrified by all of it, um, is how I feel uh, uh, when, I, when I look at that list of, okay, we're going to go pray for the sick, and we're going to reveal the kingdom of God, and we give people Jesus, and like, oh, that's terrifying. And I actually feel a little bit like, oh, gosh, if I go and pray for someone, what if, the, you know, what if I pray and nothing happens, or nothing seemingly happens, or what if I talk to someone and I get utterly ridiculed, um, they laugh at me, or worse. And I've experienced all of those those things. I've experienced all of those things. And of course, when we look at Acts, and Beth, Beth pointed this out, when we look at Acts, we kind of see a collection of stories here where God kind of came through each time the disciples did something um, more times, of course, than he did it. But I think there's an encouragement here for us to keep going, for us to keep taking risks. And, and I think the reason why Peter and John and the disciples of the early church were willing to take the risk that they did um, and, and what will give us the courage, I suppose, to take risks as well is to know that the, the job of saving and the job of healing is not our responsibility. Um, that is God's and God's alone. They knew that somebody's salvation somebody's healing, somebody's transformation wasn't on them. It wasn't their responsibility to heal or save. Because I think we know this, and I need to keep reminding myself um, <coughs> that the growth of a church, that's God's. And just like I could never save myself from the sin and the brokenness within, neither can we save anybody else. And we can't heal ourselves through um, uh, our own best actions. Only God can do that. We can't save, redeem, and renew Feltham. Only God can do that. Only through Jesus can that happen. It's only Jesus that has the power to save, only Jesus who has the power to heal, and only Jesus has the power to bring life and utter transformation to Felton. And so therefore, um, this passage for me brings me courage, brings me strength, because it reminds me afresh that <clears throat> the healing is not my responsibility, the salvation is not my responsibility, the power doesn't come from within me, the power comes from God through Jesus Christ, and so we trust in him. And so when we take a risk, and we share the good news of Jesus, when we take a risk and pray for the sick, when we take a risk and do something that might alleviate the suffering that we see in and around our town, we don't need to have the success or failure of it all rest upon us, but more we can trust that God knows what he's doing. He is the one that heals. He is the one that saves. And we know, and hopefully we've seen, I certainly have, that God still heals today. Many of us can attest to the fact that God still heals today. Some of us have experienced ourselves. I, I often think about my brother-in-law, Tom, who, <clears throat> some of you may have heard this, but basically he was skiing uh, a couple of years back and decided not to go down the main run, but uh, off piste, which I've never been skiing, so I don't really know what that means, but I, apparently it means off the snow run. And so he went and did that, and he was going at a crazy, crazy speed, couldn't see anything, fell off a cliff and broke his back. And uh, he, he ended up in hospital for quite a while in a back brace on morphine. The morphine really helped his relationship with his now wife, it must be said. He had renewed confidence in that relationship. But, um, but he, he was then ambulanced back to England, 
um, unable to sit. It was kind of the back brace was in quite an awkward position for him, so he couldn't sit or really stand or really do anything. And, and uh, so he was going to have to wear this for three months while his back healed. <coughs> And so what happened was uh, he, and, he and his now much more serious girlfriend um, decided to go to their small group so that Tom could get some prayer, not for healing because he, he wasn't sure he wanted that, but more just for like help for how he was going to cope over the next three to six months as he started to recover. And his small group, as they arrived, was like, we're not praying for that, we're going to pray for healing. And Tom's like, all right. And so as they prayed for him, he felt an incredible amount of heat start to go through his body. It started to get really, really, really hot um, as they prayed for his healing. And uh, what happened next was that he walked home, it was the middle of winter, he didn't wear a coat because he was, he was like burning up. And he went to the doctor the next day and the doctor took off the back brace to do the routine kind of checks to see what was going on. And, uh, and they were poking him in ways that really should have hurt him if he had a broken back. And they're like, we need to get a new x-ray. So they took him upstairs for an x-ray. And what it revealed is that where the break was, um, it had totally healed in like rapid fire time. And there was the scar tissue on his back of where the, where the break was. But he'd been totally healed and he was playing golf like a week later. And the reason that I know that this happened is because it gave Jesus an opportunity to declare himself as God, to remind us that he is the one that saves. He is the one that heals. And that, that, that miracle, which it was a miracle, there's, there's no other way you can explain it. It was a miracle served as a platform to the gospel to tell people that there is a God and that he deeply loves his people. It served as a platform to achieve God's highest priority, which is to bring people back into relationship with him. As we wait then for the healing and wholeness, which is guaranteed at the return of Jesus and the fulfillment of his kingdom. In the midst of this miracle and every miracle we see, we must remember that all the glory goes to God and not to us. You know, we don't take credit for the prayer that we prayed and the words that we managed to string together. We say to God, you get the glory. And we get the great joy of him partnering with us. And so there will be moments, won't there, where we pray for people and nothing seemingly happens. God is always at work, but nothing seemingly happens. There are moments where we need to identify with the psalmist, like in Psalm 13, how long, O Lord, but we hold on to hope and we remind people of the hope that is in Christ, that the suffering and the pain that we experience in this world will not prevail, that Jesus has taken victory over it on the cross and that we will see glimpses of the kingdom from now until he returns and it will be fulfilled when we see pain, sin, disease, tears eradicated in God's kingdom. In the meantime, we should, as a church, never take the credit or the blame for what God does or doesn't do. We, we aren't the ones that do or don't heal. God is the one that does it, and we trust in him. Our job, then, is to step out in faith and allow God to call. Um, sorry, we need to step out of faith and allow God to be God, to be the one who calls people home and to bring healing. And actually, I think this is a freeing reality for me. Um, when you believe that the power doesn't come from something within you, but it comes from God, it gives us a renewed freedom to take risks and steps of faith because 
we have this, we can rest in this knowledge that it's not our responsibility. It's not our responsibility to heal or save. It's just our responsibility to tell of what we've seen and heard. And so we need to stop putting pressure on ourselves to kind of hold ourselves in special ways or praise in certain kind of ways or whatever it might be and just trust that regardless of what happens, God is good, that he is loving, that he's calling people home. And there'll be times when we'll see the miracle of healing right before our very eyes. And there'll be times when we see the fullness of the healing happen when Jesus returns. Either way, the healing will happen. And regardless if it's a yes or no in a moment, we point people to Jesus and tell them again, God loves you. And so my prayer for us as a church um, in Felton is that we would be a church, we would be a people who seeks the well-being of our town, that we would be willing to take risks that involve praying for the sick. We'd be willing to take risks about telling people about the kingdom of God that is coming, to demonstrate the kingdom through the things that we get involved with, if it's alleviating suffering, if it's finding a way to help those who need help. And above all, be the type of church that's willing to take a risk to tell people about who Jesus is, acknowledging that it's only him that can heal and it's only him that can save. And I'm convinced that if we decide as a community that we're willing to take these risks and step out in these ways, both in Felton and in our general lives, then we can anticipate stories of people coming home. We can anticipate stories of people experience healing. And we're gonna have, we can anticipate welcoming people into our community who have found the love of God. Um, we don't have any other agenda as a church other than this, to remind people, to tell people that God loves them and he went through extraordinary lengths through Jesus to demonstrate that to them and so let's be a church then that shares that good news um, and see what happens.